and the fifth chapter. As you are turning there, I want to say a word of thanks to Brian for the opportunity to the deacons and to the Fisherville community for receiving us and to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that this day that I will be found faithful and true before you all. In Mark chapter 5, we have um, an epic event that takes place. It is a out-of-the-ordinary event. It's an event in which it's easy, as the narrative unfolds, to get lost in the details, to be overwhelmed with what occurs. What I want to do is to assure you that though this text contains information about demons, and strange events about pigs being suicidal, and about fear, and about people, this text is about Jesus. It's about our Lord and our Savior. And what this text will reveal to us about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as C.S. Lewis put it in the Chronicles of Narnia, he is not a tame lion, but he is good. This text will contain language that will describe a lot of fear. In our narrative, there will be people who are afraid of Jesus. In fact, the whole of Mark's gospel contains this theme. Over and over and over again throughout this gospel record. As people encounter Christ and come to understand who he is, fear wells up in their hearts. Which obviously sparks a question. Are we supposed to be afraid of Jesus? To which I would reply, there's a sense in which that's inescapable. It's, it's an ontological fear. And what I mean by that is that it is a fear that is bound up with the reality of the thing itself. I've used this illustration here before. It's like going to Niagara Falls and seeing billions of gallons of water cascade over that fall. It's intimidating. And yet the only way for you not to be intimidated by that is to shut the falls off. And then what's the point? 
No, the water has to flow. And you stand in respect and awe of the power that is before you. And this is the way it is with our Christ, with Jesus Himself. You and I, we do not want Jesus to be a tame lion. We don't want to domesticate Him. For then, He will not have the power to overcome the forces that are necessary for our redemption. Before we read the text, I want to kind of set it within the book itself and then within the passage that we are considering. As I've stated, the book itself is the presentation of Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God who has come as the Son of Man teaching with great authority. And when men encounter him, they are amazed. And you'll see that theme if you do a cursory reading of Mark's gospel. That's going to become very apparent. And this passage is in keeping with that. See that theme of fear as the reality and the amazement of what Christ does. But within this particular passage, what this section actually does is it answers a question that has arisen at the end of chapter 4. Notice, Jesus has calmed the sea, and this prompts a question from the lips of the disciples. And here's what they ask. Notice, they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And our text will give us an answer to that question. And interestingly enough, the answer will come from the lips of of demons. As we read through the text, two translation notes. I am reading through and preaching from the New American Standard, and it uses the word implore. In the ESV, the word beg is used. I like that. He's begging him. So that's so we read through. That's the one note that I want to make. So with that in mind, then. Consider the text of Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side. That is the disciples and Jesus coming out of the storm. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he, that is Jesus, got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he, that is the man with the unclean spirit, has his dwellings among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound 
with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, He ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. I implore you by God. Do not torment me. For he that is Jesus had been saying to him that is the demon possessed man. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he, that is Jesus, was asking him, that is the demons, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he, that is the demons in singular voice, began to implore him, That is, Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored. They begged him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them, that is, the demons permission And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city, in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, In his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon possessed man. And all about the swine. And they began to beg him. That is Jesus. To leave their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring. He was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. And this is astonishing. And he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had mercy on you. And he went away. And began to proclaim in Decapolis. What great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Father, we submit ourselves to your designs. 
And ask, O Lord, that as we preach your word by your design, that your people will be called to your son with great devotion for the redemption that he has brought about. What we desire, what I desire, is beyond human instrumentation, but not beyond the realm of the Spirit. And I pray, O oh God, for your glory, that you would speak to your people this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I've stated, this text is not about demon possession. It is about how Jesus demonstrates who he is through a demon-possessed man. It's not about demons or suicidal pigs. They are part of the text. But they are secondary to the point. The point is Jesus himself. And who he is. Now as we go through this narrative. There are really four points of perspective on this. First of all there are the disciples. Notice in verse 1 they came to the other side of the sea. The disciples there is the last time they referred to. They are observers in this spectacle that is about to unfold. They themselves are reeling emotionally from the night before. And they, as they get out of the proverbial pan into the proverbial fire, there is no relief. They are just standing back watching all of this unfold. Then there's the perspective of the demon-possessed man. And by the way, don't take this as the sum total end of what demon possession looks like. Certainly this is a description of it. But there are other descriptions of demon-possessed men in the text of Scripture. In fact, there's one where a demon-possessed man was sitting in a synagogue and no one knew it. This is not normative, but this is a real description. So you've got the perspective of the disciples, the perspective of the demon-possessed man. Then you've got the perspective of the crowds who are entering into this event. This is probably early in the morning. They've just gotten out of bed. They're taking care of their chores. And then this story comes to them about what has just taken place. There's a great economic loss that has just taken place. A herd. Their livelihoods were dependent upon it. Is now drowned. And they come rushing in. There's their perspective. And then there's one more perspective. And that's perspective of Fisherville Baptist Church. The story by virtue of Christ's desire to have his spirit inspire it, put it in this text, and set it before us this day. We have a perspective. The question is simply going to be what is going to be our perspective as we move through this? The one thing that unifies this whole text is the fact that there are people who are begging Jesus. The demon-possessed man begs 
The demons begged Jesus. The crowds begged Jesus. And then the man who was demon-possessed begs Jesus. But though all three groups beg Jesus, they are begging for different reasons. And it is in asking the question, why are they begging, that we begin to see the fullness of the character of Christ as it's being presented in our text. So here's the first question. Why are the demons begging Jesus? Notice in verse number 7. It says, And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, I beg you by God, do not torment me. And then in verse 10, And he began to implore or beg him earnestly not to send him out of the country. And then in verse 12, The demons implored or they begged Jesus. Not so much concerned about what they were asking for, but why are they asking him for these things? And the reason is, is because he is the authoritative Christ. He, Jesus, has the authority to bind them or to loose them. He has the authority to torture them or to not torture them. And this authority of Christ is rooted and grounded in his identity. Which is revealed, interestingly, by the demons themselves. Verse 7, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He has this authority by virtue of who he is. Colossians will tell us that he is the creator of all that there is. He is the one who has created these very beings. And they have chosen... To leave their first estate. Jude will tell us. They are the ones who have chosen. To do that which is evil. That which is diabolical. That which is destructive. They are the ones who have chosen to inhabit this man. And to destroy his life. And they recognize the authority of Jesus. And they begin to beg him. Don't torture us. This is an amazing thing to me. What cowards these demons are. For surely... This man has begged those demons to leave him alone. Surely this man's family and community has begged 
for his healing. And they with evil disregard have haunted him into the dens of caves and mountains and terrified a community. Oh, they were big and they were strong when countering those who are weaker. They are bullies. They are real bullies. But they are bullies and they are cowards until they meet Christ. And then notice how the tormentors are afraid of torment. What's further amazing is that Jesus acquiesces. He says, you don't want to leave the country? Go over there into the swine. And they do. And they run off into the sea. I have an idea of what happened next. I think they went to their place of torment. The text does not tell us. But whether they did then. Or they do in the future. This I know for certain. They will meet their tormentor. And his name will be Jesus. And he will bring about the wrath of God. With full authority and righteousness upon them. Why do the demons beg Jesus? They beg Jesus because they recognize in his person, his authority. His authority is rooted in his identity. His identity is that he's the son of God. He is the one who possesses all authority. But then there's the people from the Decapolis region who beg Jesus. Notice verse 14. And their husband ran away. And reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. And they observed the man who had been demon possessed sitting down. Clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to them. All about the swine. And then notice verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. Why are they begging Jesus? Because they are afraid of Jesus. They are afraid of Jesus because of his power. Did you notice in the reading of the text, it said that this man who had been demon possessed, they had tried on multiple occasions to bind him with chains and cords. 
And there was no one who could subdue him. He was stronger than all of those who tried to bind him. Stronger than the chains. And yet when they come upon this scene. There he is sitting as the text says in his right mind. And what is the explanation for this? Jesus. What this is saying is that Jesus is more powerful than thousands of demons. He's more powerful than the strength that this man had been given through these demons. And this makes them very, very Uncomfortable. The power in the he has the power to control demons. He has the power to ruin economies. Their economy is in shambles right now. And who did it? What happened? It was Jesus who did this. But the most amazing power is that he is able to make this man. Sane. We don't know how long this demon possession had gone on. It appears it has been years and years. And this man instantly is sane. He has gained a right framework of thinking. He can carry on conversations now. He has a whole new value system. He doesn't want to hurt people anymore. He doesn't want to hurt himself anymore. Why? Because of the power of Christ to redeem him. To deliver him. And interestingly, these people see this. And it makes them very uncomfortable. The other day, Josh and I went to see the man of steel it's interesting it is a very interesting movie philosophically it's very interesting but there's a line in there that i think is very it's it fits here very nicely they have taken superman and put him in handcuffs <laughs> and someone says to him really he says look it's for them and he's sitting in an interrogation room. And they're trying to interrogate him. And he finally, he says, you know what, okay. And he snaps the chain cuffs. He walks up to the glass and he says, you're afraid of me because you can't control me. So that's exactly what's going on here. These people are afraid of Jesus because they cannot control him. And that makes us very uncomfortable. Oh, we like a domesticated Jesus. One that we can call at our beckon. Jesus, can you come help me today? I need your help. But tomorrow, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, Jesus. I, no, 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 no. Don't come. I, don't want, I don't want this messed up. I like the way things are going right now. Please, Jesus, don't mess this up. It sounds like these people are saying, hey, would you get in the boat and go somewhere else? 
Human nature is very interesting. We are not comfortable enough with Jesus to completely dismiss him. Nor are we confident enough in ourselves to say, come here. We just we want him at a at a safe distance. But here's the thing about Jesus there is no safe distance. Jesus is who he is. And he has dominion and control. And he has the power to give you a sane mind. He has the power to order your life. He has the power to take control. And as it was with the demons, so we find ourselves startled here. Because when they beg him, Jesus, would you leave us alone? Jesus, would you get in the boat and go away? He does. He says, very well. I'll get in the boat and I'll go away. You really don't want Jesus to go away. You really don't. I don't. Be careful about asking Jesus to go away. Because our text says he will. But then we've got one last person to give consideration to. Notice in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon possessed. Was imploring. Was begging Jesus that he might. Accompany him. And this is the one that shocks me. Probably the most. Notice verse 19. The first part. He said no. That was devastating. It's absolutely devastating. I, I can't read this text. Without being devastated. Now, I'm, I, for a long time, misunderstood this guy. I really did. I identified with him, but wrongly. Partially wrongly, I think. Because I wondered, I wondered, why is this, why does he want to go with Jesus? And my first thought was, because he doesn't want to be where he is anymore. I mean, you remember, this has been years upon years that people have probably mocked him, spit at him, thrown rocks at him, ran from him, stories been told about him. Don't go that way. If you're going to go swimming, don't go over there because there's a freak up there in the mountains. Ostracized by his family, left alone. And now there, there he is. Jesus is getting in the boat to leave. He turns and he sees this crowd. And, and, I, and I've always thought, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. And I've identified it because simply I have been places where I don't want to be. Left alone with people that I don't know. Who don't know me, don't care about me. 
And I identified with that. And I said, yeah, you know, that's what's going on there. I think that's partially true. But I don't think that's the point. I think the man wants to go to Jesus because he loves Jesus. He is now devoted to the one who redeemed him. Devotion to Christ sometimes comes over the course of many years. An example of that is is a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John. And he had served Christ faithfully for years. So faithfully, in fact, that the Roman government came for him. And arrested him. And put him in the arena. And said, you must say, Kyrios Kaiser. Caesar's Lord. And Polycarp is an aged man, and he said, I'm not going to do it. And when queried, when he's questioned, why will you not just simply say, Caesar is Lord? This is how the account goes. But when the magistrate pressed him hard and said, swear the oath, I will release you. Revile Christ Polycarp said, four score and six years have I been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That devotion, the devotion of Polycarp, welled up inside this man in Mark chapter 5 in an instant. What had taken Polycarp a lifetime to develop was instantaneously deposited into this man's heart as that love of God and the redemption and the salvation that comes with it expelled those demons. And now he saw blue skies and green grass and red cardinals if there be such things there anticipating eating a meal with his family having a purpose in living oh Christ Christ please 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 let me go with you I want to be with Jesus. No. No. And it's not a no of hatefulness. It's not a no of I don't like you. It's not a no of you're insignificant. No. Notice the text. Verse 19. And he did not let him, but he said to him, go home. To your people and to report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how 
he had mercy on you. People need to hear this. Your family needs to see you in a right mind. Your family needs to see the change in you. You don't look like the same person. You don't act like the same person. What's different? Mercy. Jesus has had mercy on me. And He will have mercy on you. He's not a tame lion. But that's a good thing. Because it's... He has the power to enact His mercy. That which is concrete in our text is true and real. And I believe from the bottom of my heart these events took place. But this is all typological. In other words, it all is pointing forward. And what it's pointing forward to is the opportunity for mercy to be shown. Not just in the city of this man, but in the whole world. All the way down to Fisherville Baptist Church today. You say, what mercy is that? I'll tell you what mercy it is. It's the mercy of the cross. You see, the cross is the means by which mercy is shown. God sent Jesus into this world to suffer and die on Calvary. And to be resurrected from the dead. So that. You and I. Not just the people in this text. But you and I. Might be shown mercy. And what is that mercy? That we. Will not be tormented. By demons. And by the wrath of God. Rather, we have the hope of salvation. We have Christ. And all those who believe, who repent of their sins and believe and embrace this Jesus. Yes, this Jesus who is so powerful and full of authority that it's scary. But realize that He is good and His goodness is seen in His cross and His redemption of men. My chains are gone. My chains. My chains are gone. I bear witness to you today that I am free because of Jesus. There are others in this room who are free. 
who bore witness, who as we sang that song, that blessed song of amazing grace, who lifted their hands and bore testimony, yes, I am free. I am free because of Jesus. But now there's some of you in here You said, now wait a minute. This Jesus is just a little too much for me. And what you may do is you may relegate all of this over to some man's imagination and dismiss and proverbially ask Jesus to get in the boat and go away. I beg you not to do that. I beg you to allow Christ to free you, to show mercy on you. That you might have a right mind and a right heart. That you would be devoted to Christ. That you will have hope. And that you and I together will follow the same pattern of this man. And we will go and we will tell others of the mercy that Christ has had on us. Until that boat is carrying Jesus. Begins to move into our shore. When he comes. And he says. Yes. Now. You can come with me. May God. Empower his word by his spirit. To his end. This day. Father we do pray. Oh, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts through the realization of who Jesus is. That our devotion for him would be inflamed. That our devotion would overcome our fear of how he may rearrange our life. Of of what things will look like once He has freed us. May our devotion, may our vision of Christ drive us past the fear of our heart that our soul might love the One who has given us mercy. I pray this in Christ's name.